welcome to the Flat Out RC Podcast. My name is Andrew Sill. We are up to episode four. So we're we're on a roll. Uh should say I'm on a roll, because it's really only me, isn't it? But I'm on a roll. Episode four. Trying to get these podcasts out weekly. I, I actually think that I can keep this up uh, every week. Aiming for Wednesday night uploading and generally it takes a little bit of time from to get up through the platforms but by thursday morning you should be able to access the flat out rc podcast now this week's episode oh, it, it's going to be another corker uh we've got a uh, i'm going to have a great chat with aaron bones gal now if you don't know who aaron gal is he's uh, a gun aerobatics pilot out of australia so more on him later but before i get into it we're still stuck in the midst of this coronavirus. It's driving us crazy. But I'll tell you what, don't know about you guys, I'm still getting a lot of work done on model aeroplanes. Every weekend, there's nowhere else to go. So it's a good excuse to get in the shed and keep on working on planes. So I've been working on, last weekend it was a jet, a turbine jet. I've got a Viper jet that I bought from a friend and uh, had to do a little bit of work to it. And I actually... I've got it finished. It's ready to fly. Started the turbine up. It's my first ever turbine. Um, but yeah, really loving that. So that's ready to go. Got a couple of aerobatic planes ready to go as well. So I reckon by the time we can get back to the flying clubs, I would have finished all my projects, which is going to be perfect timing. Uh, and it'll just be all about the flying from that point onwards. So interesting times ahead. Now, instead of uh, talking about some uh, product news, because there ain't much happening, um, you know, Extreme Flight, the aerobatic brand, is producing a whole bunch of new aircraft. It's almost like their their latest wave of aircraft coming up to the summer period and the peak flying time in the US um, means they've launched a whole bunch of new aircraft. So there's a lot there to go through, but we've already talked about their new extra NG, and I noticed they've got some new uh, edges coming and all that kind of stuff. So plenty of good aircraft coming from Extreme Flight. But today I want to talk a bit about telemetry and uh, people always question me why do i run telemetry in some of my more expensive aircraft now for those of you don't know don't know what telemetry is it's basically a system to grab information from the aircraft and send it back to your transmitter so that you can remotely see what is going on so some of the things such as you know flight pack voltages uh uh, airspeed you can have gps sensors you can have uh, for gliding variometers so a range of different bits of data that you can capture that can be sent back to your radio. And some of my friends think it's crazy. Now, I like to run on some of my more expensive planes, temperature sensors on the uh, on the motors, my, my gases, uh, and that feeds information back. Now, people sit there and they say to me, well, you can't sit and look at your transmitter whilst you're flying. But my answer always is, well, you can when you're running the engine up, so uh, on my ter- turbine, I'm running telemetry and I've got a, a JetCat turbine. So I bought a, I run a spectrum transmitter system and I bought the uh, JetCat telemetry module, which was cost next to nothing. Plug that in, works seamlessly. And now I get all the information about RPMs, temperatures, all that kind of stuff. Now that I've got that information, I can do something with it. And this is the big thing you know, that's happening in the world with the capturing of data. We can now do something with it. It's great that I know that the um, temperature of the engine runs at 500 to 600 degrees or something like that on the turbine. But I can set up warnings. I can now have the transmitter warn me when there's an error state. And that error state might be temperature. It could be, um, you know, there's a fuel pump warning or something like that, um, say with the jet. But you can set up these warnings now through your radio systems to tell you what's going on. It could be a height limit. You know, if you've got uh, a variometer or something like that in your plane, it can warn you how high you are so you don't exceed any regulations. And you don't need to look down. It just can, you know, if you've got a voice-activated radio, which I don't have, I'd love to have one. A voice-enabled radio can then talk to you and tell you, you know, warning temperature or something like that. So, uh, you know, we we, we hear about heads-up displays on fighter jets and things like that. Well... It's a virtual heads-up display, really, for we aero modelers. And so I've seen a friend of mine has a Spectrum radio, can't remember which model, 
and that has voice uh, uh it's voice enabled and it reads out his flight pack voltage so he's always getting a constant uh, update every minute or so as to how his flight pack is going so he knows when to land this is an electric aircraft so telemetry can be a really really beneficial tool for uh aero modelers now i'm not saying you're going to go and grab your your park fly foamy and uh set it up with telemetry but uh with your more expensive planes your 30 cc's and ups sometimes it's handy to have the good thing about it is all the manufacturers are really moving towards this telemetry uh movement and out of the box they're telemetry enabled so if you're buying a spectrum a jetty uh i think futaba um, these name brand systems they've all got telemetry modules that you can use now i know from a spectrum perspective because that's something that uh, i use that originally you had to buy almost like a separate telemetry receiver but that's been phased out because all their new generation receivers are telemetry enabled so even without adding extra sensors so whether it be temperature sensors or airspeed uh, sensors that, that kind of thing you can get information such as uh, voltage receiver voltages uh, if there's any data losses so any fades in, in the signal uh, so you can you know and, and i think it, even with the spectrum if i think i'm right in saying this that it stores the data so you can come back and have a look at those files if something went wrong to see you know whether you lost you know everyone says oh it was a glitch well was it a glitch we can now report on it so telemetry something to be consider i think uh for you aero modelers out there if you're running systems like jetty they're awesome with their telemetry you can basically capture a lot of information if you're uh practicing for gliding you know and you say if you're into dlg and you want to know how high your launches are well you can you can you can get that information now through telemetry modules etc so take a look at telemetry get online research it a bit more have a look at your uh, radio manufacturer and see what they offer and get into it Let's get on to our special guest. And I'll tell you what, what a special guest he is this week. Now, I was fortunate to have a chat with Aaron Bones Gal. Bones is his nickname because he's as skinny as a rake, the lucky fella, unlike myself. But Aaron Bones Gal is probably one of the most decorated competitive aerobatic pilots that Australia has seen. He's won numerous Australian IMAC championships. He's represented Australia at the F3A World Championships and, and did an exceptional job. He's competed over in the US in uh, aerobatics, both IMAC freestyle aerobatic events as well. So he's a gun. He's been flying since he was a young kid. But let me not tell you his entire story. Let's let's hear it from himself. So over to our interview with Aaron Bones Gal. Aaron Bones Gal, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the Flat Out RC podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. Now, you're a guy that when I set out to do this podcast, I always wanted to have a chat with you because I consider you to be one of Australia's best aerobatic pilots out there. Like, it's just undisputed. You've won that many national championships and you've been, uh, you know, gotten to pattern flying your gun. So I'm really glad you're joining me. But uh, first question is, how did you get into aero modeling? Uh, for me, aero modeling has been a big passion in my family for many years. My grandfather used to fly. My father started flying when he was about 13 or 14, went past the local flying field in uh, Sunbury, Victoria. And, yeah, they, they went in. My father, it's a funny story. My father tells me that he was never allowed to learn how to fly until my grandfather could. So it took my grandfather about 18 months until he could fly a plane by himself before my father could even touch the sticks. Yeah. Once he touched the sticks, he was able to fly within about two months. So this would be going back to the mid-70s. And for me, aeromodeling's just been a passion of mine that I've, I've just grown up with. I've never really known anything else. Yeah, so you've been born into it. And what age did you first get your hands on the sticks? Looking back at photos, there would be photos of uh, myself sat on my father's lap when I would have been three and a half, four years of age when he was flying the uh, gliders down at the Larks model flying field here in cool, uh, in um, in Queensland. I was first solo. I'm on a trainer. It was the old classic trainer. Um, I would have been about four and a half, five. And that's and I'm going on 27 now, so this is 22 odd years now. Gee, and it, and 
from what I, I I see, you know, your whole family, error modeling plays a massive part in your in your life. How often are you getting out there flying? For me, in the uh, in in recent years, it, I haven't been flying as much as I used to. I, I still get out every single weekend, uh, go down to the Logan Home Model Flying Field. I do a bit of teaching down there, helping out a few guys. Um, along with also, I'm on acreage here, so I'm usually out the back there with a the foamy on a weekend, uh, getting in a little bit of stick time. For many years, when I got into the aerobatic stuff, I just lived and breathed at any moment that I could possibly be flying. I was flying from sun up to sundown, before school, after school, whenever I possibly could. Now, let's just get into that, right? Into the aerobatic side of stuff. So, was your father into aerobatics and that, that influenced you or, or how did you first get into sort of the aerobatics uh, flying? Where I first got into aerobatics was I was a member of the Grattan flying field up here in Queensland with my father. And it would have been, oh, it would have been mid 2007. We had at that stage, it was the current Australian IMAC champion, Chris Brislin came out to put on a couple of flights and that preparing for the DA challenge and, and also the Tucson aerobatic shootout. And for me as a 12 year old, 11 year old looking and seeing a, a, a three meter model hovering a foot off the ground and doing knife edge passes and all these aerobatics, uh, the attraction was just immediately there. So like, wow, this is so cool. The, the presence and they're sitting there listening to him as he's there flying to the his freestyle music routine they had a little beatbox out there and it was just it was just so inspiring it gave me something that i was like wow this is so cool and 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 seeing uh, i then went home and i was told about the back then of the websites of flying giants and a I'd jump on there and I'd see, first heard about the Tucson shootout and many of these big events. And all of a sudden I just became hooked on it. I think um, that's, a, and, that's a common story, actually. I think that uh, everybody that I know that's really into aerobatics, it started by seeing a gun flying it and just straight away going, okay, that's what, that's what my direction now. That's what I want to do. So yeah, that's my experience as well. I saw the great man Edo Sega fly and that was it. Sold all the other planes that I had and went, this is the direction that I'm going to go in, but I'm nowhere near anybody, you know, your standard at all. But so Chris Brisbane was a gun, absolute gun pilot. And so you've been influenced by him. What was the next step after that? You got onto the forums and what did you do? Did you go out and buy an aerobatic plane or, or get in a sim or what? So from there, I um, obviously as a, as a young young boy, still just come out of primary school into high school, I was uh, started saving up for my first ever gasoline uh, aeroplane. Previous to this, I used to fly a lot of scale. Uh, my father uh, used to be a part of an association up here called Southern Cross Air Force, which is basically a warbird fun fly group, and we would go around to all the clubs, fly warbirds. So previous to this, I was doing a lot of flying, you know, quarter scale tiger moths, a few other warbirds and that. So anyway, getting back to getting into the aerobatics, I remember saving up for a 50cc aerobat and uh, over about a three-month period, I finally had enough money to buy an, an airframe from Desert Aircraft. It was, an, it was a pilot us, no, not a pilot. It was a wild hair edge I was looking at buying. Anyway, the night before I was due to get it, uh, we had some friends staying at, uh, at, at Grattan Flying Field, uh, Steve Arnett and Adam Argus. Those guys go back many, many years in the, in the jets and aerobatic stuff. Um, and Steve offered me, he said, look, I've got this aerobatic aeroplane of my son's that he doesn't fly anymore. You're more than welcome to have it for what you're planning on paying for this airframe which was 500 bucks. I didn't know too much about it. I said, yeah, sure, that would be great. And my dad said, yeah, that would be a great idea. So that following week, um, Steve dropped off the airplane, me not knowing too much about it. Dad came home from work. I've, I've come home from school and gone in the shed. And sat in the shed was 100cc wild hair extra, DA100, all these servos in it. And I was just gobsmacked. For five hundred bucks, you know the the 
for 500 bucks. Oh. And, and for me, it was what, look, it was worth so much more, but for, I owe so much to the likes of Adam Argus and Steve Arnett for their generosity for, you know, giving me this aeroplane for so cheap, me not knowing too much about it at the time. Um, and neither did my father. And, and that's what ended up being my first iMac plane. So I, I got that there and started saving up. I had to save up for a, uh, a power box to go in it and my batteries and other bits and pieces. So, you know, yet again, many more months of washing the dishes at home and finally got my money and, and I was able to get it in the air. And, um, and from there, I then spent about three months worth of practice before I went to my first iMac comp that following year in 2008. Okay, so in 2008. And then uh, that was, of course, you started off in basic and then worked your way up? That's correct. So I started off in basic, uh, went to my first comp up in Toowoomba, west of Brisbane, won my first competition. I really went from there. Uh, two competitions later was the Bendigo Masters. I was uh, I was asked if I should you know, go down and, and have a go at it, which I did. And I and to which I placed third. Um, from that, there, there was uh, back in those days, the the prize pool was very big and very generous here in Australia. And DA USA and Australia had donated two DA one fifties and a few other bits and pieces. Oh, and uh, yeah, it was it was amazing to see such a you know such amazing prizes. And anyway, first person got drawn up. It was like a lucky deal go up there and first person picks up a DA-150 and then the next person that got drawn out was Ian Howard who is Mr. DA Australia and he got up there and said look I want to give this ticket to Aaron Gall and I was just yet again young 13 year old 14 year old absolutely gobsmacked and and he got got up there and he he gave me uh, a DA-150 which then went into my first ever three meter iMac model which I still have today um, so from there, it just, over the next couple of years, I just progressed rather quickly through all the way up till the point when I got to unlimited, which would have been about, I think it was two and a half or three years later it took me. And so, and once you got to unlimited, you started competing against, you know, some of the other guns in the country. How many times have you won the national championship now in unlimited? In Unlimited, I've won three times now over the past. My first one that I won was in 2013. So I won 2013, 2015, and 2018. Okay. And you've also dabbled in the freestyle area as well. And how's that gone? Yeah, freestyle, I've, uh, I have first went to my first freestyle competition about, it would have been 2010, took me a while for me to gain the confidence to fly freestyle. Oh, I could fly foamies out, out the backyard. and But there was always a level of fear with flying bigger aeroplanes because uh, of a young age, you, you couldn't afford to replace it if you, if you crashed it. So there was a level of fear in that. But I, I then was just – I spent a lot of time practicing with my foamies and it was – a good friend of mine said to me, look, the only way you're going to press and, and become a better pilot is you just have to take that risk. You have to be prepared to push it that little bit harder, go that little bit lower. There's going to be times you're going to crash. Everyone's going to crash. But if you don't push yourself, how are you ever going to become a better pilot? And so it was from then on that I started pushing myself and getting a little lower and a little bit more com- confident in myself. Were you doing much practice on um, on the simulator? Oh, yes, Andrew. I lived and breathed the simulator. I reckon I drove my parents bonkers. <laughs> I used to have the, 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 the laptop set up in the lounge room, connected to the TV, and I'd be flying until oh, 11.30 at night. And here's me. I'm supposed to be getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning to go to school and and it was just, I just spent so much time on the simulator, um, pushing myself harder and harder um, until obviously as life progresses, you get to an age and, you know, I, I, I didn't do all that much simulator. In saying this, last week, I 
been seeing a few guys over in the US doing the simulator. I'm like, right, I need to get back on the simulator. There's not like much I can do at the moment. Yeah. So I went out and bought myself Real Flight Nine. Yep. Downloaded it, and I look, I've probably spent about two hours on the simulator so far in the last couple of days, and there was stuff that, you know, I was always a little bit, yeah, I kind of can't do it, and I'd do it, and it'd be like a little sketchy. But now I've been playing on the simulator the last two hours well, for two hours and I'm now confident in it. And it's just, it just goes back to show that even after so many years of doing this, the sim, going back to the simulator and trying these things and pushing yourself that little bit harder, it, it really benefits you. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the sim every time. I, I did exactly the same as you. I, I Last year I thought I've got to get back into the sim or it was earlier this year. And I downloaded Real Flight Nine. I bought it and all that. And yeah, I've been getting onto it, um, trying to get on every week because I actually find that I am more confident when I fly. And Edo said, "Give you always say to me, he said he used to do a lot of simulator practice because he said it was all about building up the neural pathways, getting your brain and your muscles to work. And he said your your, your brain and your muscles don't really know whether you're at the flying field or in front of a computer. So." I use it for sort of muscle memory, even though like everybody says, it's not exactly like the real thing. Well, of course it's not because it's on, you're on a computer, but the stick movements are the same. So rolling into a knife edge that instinctively my fingers know what to do without even thinking. And that's the advantage of a simulator. So I'm a big, big fan of it, but okay. I, I do have a limit where I start to get bored with it and then I have to turn it off and then come back next day and do it again. Now, just want to move on now to have a look at the international flying you've done. So you, you've really risen to the top here in Australia uh, and you've also then represented Australia overseas. Now, where have you you mainly competed overseas? So over the my first international competition I did was in 2010 over in New Zealand at the Wahara Rumble at Fraser Briggs. Uh, TOC, legend, amazing yeah. freestyle pilot, run for a couple of times. So I went over and did that. My first real big event 2011 Tucson Aerobatic Shootout. It was, for me, I would have to say where it was the best, the biggest point that I've stepped onto an international uh, stage for competing. At that point, there I was. It was it was grade 12. Um, they're doing you know statewide, nationwide. They called it HSE back then. We called it QCS in Queensland. I'm there studying for my QC QCS. I've got all these exams usual high school pressures of formals and many other bits and pieces. And then throwing on top of it was the Tucson shootout, which for me, I'd been, it was something that I had aspired to since that I got my first IMAC plane. It was, that's what I want to do. That's where I want to be. I want to be flying unlimited. I want to be flying invitational freestyle against the best, the best. And for me, it was, uh, school had to come first. That was always what it was going to be. But for me, if, if I could make school work and I put the time in for flying, then that's what I'd do. So leading up to that 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 first Tucson, I remember I would I had my P plates and I would drive to school with my trailer on the back of my car, planes already in, loaded, ready to go. I'd do my homework during lunchtime after school, straight in the car, out to my local flying field, and I'd fly until I'd go dark. I spent three months doing that before I went to my first shootout, to which I uh, it was a, definitely a big learning curve there. I ended up from my first shootout, I placed fifth in freestyle and fifth in unlimited, which for That's me, great. yet again, I was just blown away by it. And from there, it just it just stepped on and just kept on going. From there, I then went to uh, I was invited to compete in my first ever invitational at Clover Creek by John Sheroda. Um, for me, that was, again, that, that was that next level above Flying Unlimited. It was 12 pilots around the world from every country battling it out for $50,000 prize money. That was, at, at 18 years of age, I was, I was, on, I was on a buzz. And from there, it, it's just progressed since then. The last nine years, I've, I've done the, the Futaba XFC. I've done the IMAC World Championships. I then got into F3A, been to two F3A World Championships now. At my last one that I went to last year in Italy, I placed 26. I was the first Australian 
to have made the semi-finals in F3A in 15 odd years. Um, so for me, it's it has become so much of my life that I've just lived and breathed the the international travel, meeting so many people, and and just in, enjoying what era modelling has to offer. In the uh, in the last episode of this podcast, I, I interviewed David Law, who's a is a great scale model and represented Australia in scale competitions and still does. And we were talking about how great it is to travel internationally and meet new people for your hobby, not just for a holiday, to, to meet other people. Because, you know, as you know, I've been to China a few times and met different people and it's just it's just the next level. But, of course, there is the hassle of carrying all the aircraft overseas. How have you gone with, with that side of it? I'm pretty fortunate. I've done enough now that I've, I've gained up a bit of confidence and I have a fair idea of what to do and how to go about it. For me, when I'm traveling to the US, which is where I do predominantly most of my competitions, I can go with the baggage allowance. You can take two boxes um, of 23 kilos and onwards. For me, they don't. They're a little bit that I can just make it work with my box sizes, though. I can actually fit uh, a three-meter model fuse in one box, another box for my wings and that's how I go about it. I have to remove my batteries, my fuel tank, have to clean all that there up to go over there and then with my batteries and my motor, I send them separately straight to the DA factory in Arizona um, and then when I get over there going through customs, that's oh, that's fun times trying to, trying to fit a two and a half metre box sideways as you're going down the aisles in LAX, oh, that, talk about fun times, mate. That's definitely an eye-opener. Um, from there, obviously, go. I get my rental car and I drive on down to Tucson, to which I then set up my planes to go from there. Europe, though, whole nother, a whole nother issue. I Last year when I went to Italy to take just the one box for my F3A model, which is oh, two-thirds of the size of an iMac model box, and two-thirds of the weight cost me a thousand dollars where normally when i'm going to the to the u.s i'm only up for about 150 200 in excess charges for overweight so um europe i'm, I'm not 100 sure what i'm going to end up doing in in a couple of years time when it comes to the imac world championships in europe there's been possible talks of you know whether i end up purchasing a model over there that's already built or pay to have a model built over there um so Europe's another thing, but America, oh, life's a lot easier going to America to take your boxes over there to compete with. Yeah, no, so I've heard the same thing about traveling to Europe is a bit difficult. But um, so you've talked about the pattern flying and, and it, it seems as if it's it's one of your key focuses coming up now is that uh, F3A pattern flying. Uh, is that something that you're really looking getting into a bit more? Yeah, the, the F3A at the moment for me has probably become my main focus Following last year's uh, World Championships in Italy, I've I, I went there with a very different mindset to what I normally would, and and it's because of F3A is such a I consider F3A a gentleman's sport. People talk to me about what's the difference between iMac and F3A or freestyle and F3A, and and the only way I can really describe it to the average Australian that asks me is iMac and freestyle is like rugby league and F3A is like rugby union. It's just that little bit more of a gentleman's sport. So when I went there, I went there with the, the thought process of wherever I place, I place. I'm going to give it my best shot, but I have zero expectations on myself. I just have seen over the, over the years, not just in, in F3A, in iMac and many other disciplines of air modeling, I noticed that people, if you go over to represent your country or, or just to, to represent overseas at a large event, the moment you put expectations on yourself of where you're going to place, you're going to fail yourself immediately. The, in these sort of instances, it's, a, it, it's an opportunity of a lifetime to represent your country. So you, you soak it up and you enjoy it as much as you can. The worst thing you do is get caught up in the competition. So anyway, getting back to it, I I went there with the thought process of I'm going to give it my best shot. And for me, I, I exceeded my own expectations. To place 
26 in the world amongst some of the, the greatest F3A pilots out there. In, in one of my flights, I placed, I think it was my last preliminary flight, I placed 12th or 13th, was was just for me insane because it's it's just it's never been heard of of an australian you know since the likes of peter goldsmith and the last ones to make the semi-finals was gavin broadbent i think also bill bloodworth but it's just such a, a rarity so for me following what what happened last year it's just become the well if i can get 26th i can do better i can i can really take this further if i really focus and 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 just put my mind to it who's to say that you know i can make the top 20 even make the top 10 which would just be amazing so for me it's it's that next challenge and as much as i love my iMac and i love my freestyle i just here in australia i just feel like i've got to a point that i'm really happy with and i'm and i'm just quite happy and i'm ready to move on to that next challenge being f3a now so at the moment i'm I'm just working out where i go i'm talking with a couple of guys with regards to uh next year's world championships in muncie indiana as to what airplane i use um look in saying that though i might not even make the team the team trials are supposed to be in albury in october but with the current circumstances might get pushed on to next year so for me with f3a being definitely my primarily focus as well as just working out where I go to from here. Yeah. Well, I, I, no doubt, whatever you do, you're going to do it really well because that's what you've always done. Now, I just want to move on and have a look at some of the aircraft. Now, the Gal hangar, and actually, I recently saw a Facebook post, I think your dad did, of, you know, show us your hangar kind of thing. It, it's just phenomenal what you've got. What, what are the main planes that you're flying at the moment? <laughs> That's uh, quite an interesting question because I uh, what I what I fly changes so often because in in, in the last couple of years I've, I've backed off a little bit on the iMac stuff. I, I still have all my my iMac models, um, but if you go through through our shed, there is such a wide diverse work of of models. Like this year before. Um, before we finished up, I just uh, before we finished up because of this coronavirus, I was spending my Sundays out flying uh, one third scale World War One aircraft with my old man, pretending to do dog fights. But you go through that shed, and uh, and for me, because I just love so much of air modeling, I love everything. I love scale. I love World War One, World War Two, jets, races. Uh, you name it, I just love it and breathe it. So at, at the moment, it would be yeah the the World War One stuff, the World War Two stuff I'm working on at the moment, um, and then also the jets. I, I've started I started flying jets about three years ago now, and I'm just hooked on it. It's just it's that whole nother rush to flying that I've I've never experienced before, and I'm just soaking it all up. Well, I'll be joining you soon. I've got a Viper jet sitting here that I've just got to finish off in next week or so. So you know, we should get together to an event or something. That, that's it's something about that turbine scene that's really attracted me to it, that there are some really nice events happening, some really nice planes and whatever, flying it down here in Victoria with their, their, their jet meets at uh, airports, Mangalore Airport and Wangarad and stuff like that. So really keen to get involved. Now, everything you've got though in your hangar is pretty big, isn't it? You don't generally. I see you flying, you know, little forty-eight uh, inch planes a lot. Look, it's the average. We, we did a count a couple of weeks ago, and at the moment in the shed, there's a hundred and seven aeroplanes sat in the shed, with forty odd planes over three meter wingspan. So they are a range of iMac models, World War One, Warbirds. Um, some of the other stuff, the, the unique stuff that we've got in the shed that you wouldn't normally see at the flying field is we've got a, uh, a super constellation, which used to be owned by Mike Farnham at Model Engines. Yeah, it's a massive plane. Uh, my father, oh, yeah. We've, we've got the, uh, 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 I think it's a 48% Piper Pawnee because my father loves gliders, loves aero towing. So we've got that there, a couple of 50% gliders in the shed. Um, and then probably the, the, the cake of them all at the moment that we test flew 
about six weeks ago was the uh, we got the sixty five percent Fokker DR one by Bill Hempel. Yeah, so yeah. We, I saw we, photos. Of, that's had massive. that now. Oh yeah, so we've had that now five years, and it's just been one of them projects. Like, yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it, and we finally got around to it. That it's we we saved up and we went with a Moki four hundred in it. And people were like, oh, is it going to be big enough? And you know, I don't know. And but anyway, I was put. I was very confident looking at what other people have done or other engines that they've used, and in the end, it's it's worked out perfect. So the the, the so we're running the Moki four hundred. Swinging a 42-16 feeler prop, two blade, um, and all up, it's got all the JR DFA servos in it. Uh, I'm flying on my JR T44, and the model weighs 73 kilos dry. So she's a uh, she's quite the beast. Yeah, it's pretty big. What's it like to fly something like that? Oh, it's it's so easy. It, it is such a predictable airplane to fly look in saying that we've only flown it i've flown it three times my father's flown it three times to get our certification on it um and it, it just it feels really just easy to fly in the x it's just so slow typical world war one very docile the only real concern is it is with landing because it's such got a short moment on the front end if you don't time it right it will nose over so you just a matter of just as you get that right angle of attack, the moment the wheels touch, get on a little bit more up elevated just to hold itself running down the runway. Yeah, yeah, no, you can see that by just by the look of it. You'd have to watch out. Now, out of all these planes, out of all the planes you've owned, really, what is have you got a favourite? Oh, it's it's so hard to pick a favourite because there's there each each aeroplane has such a diverse way of, of flying and it really comes back to your mood. It's like, you know, I might go out there and be like, yeah, I just want to, you know, sit at the flying field, drink my cup of tea with the old guys and fly my World War One stuff. But then there's the, you know, I'll have a couple of Red Bulls and I'll say, right, let's get out the 40% R2GB and go out there and fly it. And that one there, well, that would have to be, of all the planes I've ever flown, that one would have to keep me on my toes the most. I'm always just... And I just live and just breathe it. I'm just constantly, it's not like I'm fighting the airplane, but the airplane is such a, as so many people would know, the GB is such a, a, a complex airplane to fly with regards to it, its characteristics, with regards to landing and flying around. It, it's such a, a, a beautiful plane to fly. Yet if you're not in the right thought process, it can just in absolute shambling can become very messy. Um, and, but then there's also the jets and, uh, I could, I could, I, I really struggled to put my finger on a favorite. Yeah. There's just too much diverse that I, I enjoy. Yeah. Now being one of, one of the, the aerobatic guns here in Australia, what's some of the advice you'd give uh, a, a younger pilot that's getting into aerobatics? What do you think they should be focusing on or any tips that they should be mindful of? In my opinion, growing up, doing doing the aerobatics and that when i started to get to a point my high my, towards unlimited invitational you reach a point where you start it's like well what else can you do to to better yourself i can give to the young guys or, or anyone getting into into aerobatics is to focus on the basic and and work on the little things. If you make the little things work, the big things will just happen naturally. So, for example, setting up of an aeroplane, making sure you do your, you set up your geometry correctly on all your surfaces. If you're flying iMac, you don't need as much travel. So you're using smaller servo arms, getting better resolution out of your servos. Um, through to your center of gravity, your the instant setup. I, I could go on for ages, which I'm going to end up uh, on a later date because I've set up my my uh, hobby shop, Bones RC. I'm going to be doing some videos that are going to feature on that. But getting back to the young guys, focus on the little things and the big things will just happen. That's a, really the only bit of advice I, I could give. It's, you know, people say, well, hey, I, I could go on for ages, you know, oh, how do you do a slow roller? How do I do rolling Harry's? Or how do I hover? There's so many people out there that can, you know, there's, there's so many videos out there on how you can do this here. But 
the the separation between a good pilot and a great pilot is the focusing on little things. You know, if something's not right, fix it. Now, every time every time I take off an airplane, I I aim for perfection, whether it be a a forty a forty eight inch extreme flight model to a hundred cc aerobatic model to my two hundred cc aerobat, even to when I fly my jets or my World War One stuff. I take off with an idea of what I want to perform in the air. It's all about just the focusing on the little things, keeping your wings level. You know, is my plane flying straight? The amount of people that I see struggle because they don't know how to trim their airplane. Like really, you should be able to from one end of the strip to the other, and you should be able to put that transmitter on the ground and it should be able to fly from one point all the way to the other point and not even have to touch a single thing. You know, that's anyway, look, I, I could I could go on for ages, but it's just focus on the little things, my biggest advice. Yeah, I agree. I always say, you know, do the simple things really, really well and you're gonna look good and things like keeping your wings level, you know, completing a roll when it's supposed to be finished and, and you know, even flying straight. Like people a bugbear of mine is watching people, you know, do a do a, a low pass. Just a basic low pass. And their low pass generally looks like a slight decline uh, and then a hit bottom point and then a slight incline. So it's almost like this V-shaped low pass. And I keep on saying, you know what looks even better? A straight and level low pass across the entire strip. Not a, a, a descend and then an incline and a slight thing. A straight and level is amazing. Looks Always looks good. And when I've judged aerobatic competitions, the biggest thing is the precision of the maneuvers. You know, are they flying straight lines? And as soon as you do that, you're a gun and, but you've got to have that attitude, like you said, of, of perfection. You, you do. I, I can remember a oh, great funny story here. And the, and the best one that tells it is Steve Richardson from uh, Radioactive RC here in Queensland. He, he is a crack up because back in the day of when I'd fly warbirds, when you would come in, you'd do a big gallery pass and you'd sweep around. And the problem is you would, you'd turn your whole body and you, you'd move yourself around. And when I started mm. IMAC, is I was the I was the young kid that would you know shuffle and move all the way around the place. And I remember Richard grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, "Just stay here," you yeah. know. And he'd there there and he'd kick kick my ankles and that there and just the 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 art to be able to teach your body to stand still, don't move, sh- keep your feet parallel to the runway, shoulders parallel to the runway, and only turn your head. That's probably another big one yeah, that I've, I've I'm a big believer. So many people getting into big believer aerobatics. of that. I'm a massive believer of that. That I'm almost like a tripod sitting there that doesn't move. But you know, I was, actually, the last flying session I had, I, I went up to somebody and said, "Hey, you're coming into land. Your body's w- walking all over the place. Stand still. You know, and just move your head. And you know, I, I, I use a tray when I fly for that exa- same reason that I want everything to be stable." except my fingers do the moving. So I don't want any distractions from my feet moving or the transmitter moving in my hand on the strap or whatever. It's just that locked-in feel. I've got a lot more practice to do, though, to be, to be anywhere close to you. But um, you mentioned uh, the new business. Tell us a bit about that. So it's it's been an idea that I've been dabbling on for a couple of years. I've, I've had a couple of concepts set around. I think, oh, you know, yeah, I'll one day get around to it. But following last year, I was uh, over at the Tucson shootout talking with uh, Jace Deuce here. And, and Jace is a great mate of mine. I've known Jace now since 2013, Futaba XFC. And uh, it's it, it, uh, quite funny. I, I got a little bit of a laugh because he, he said to me uh, a couple of years later, he says, you know, the first time I met you, he says, I was so nervous to come up with me. He's like, that's Aaron Bones' girl. And, yeah. and here's me thinking, oh, but you're you're the legend jace ducio you yeah. know it's just it's amazing you know what how other people can perceive others but anyway last year i'm talking with jace and 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 people here in australia have have shown interest they in the jta foamy range that he has um and i just said to him i said look you know i wouldn't mind doing something with this here in australia i think australia there is a a market for your product and he said yeah sure and and so anyway I, I got went home and as usual get too busy caught up in work but i finally before christmas i, I got up in, in with him and i said look I'm, I'm wanting to do this how we go about it and so anyway we we first set it up initially for me about bringing in the jta range 
and, and going from there. And, and so the business is called Bones RC. Pretty obvious for me. Well, yeah, I, it's a name that uh, I feel it, it stands out a little bit different to everything else. And obviously just it's pretty relatable to me is obviously is the nickname bones. Um, so at the moment it's, I, I, I got my first shipment of JTA models two weeks ago, which have just sold like hotcakes. I've, I've got a, a couple left at the moment. I've got a couple of the yaks and I've already gone and placed my, my second run of order. Um, other products that I will be bringing in and, and, and selling will be the JTEC radio wave kits and the Dalton aviation. Um, there has been a lot of interest in those, to those that who who haven't yet approached me but are, are interested, it still isn't the moment of working in progress. Um, I've got the files here, so I'm, the the big thing with when it comes to kits is getting them here to Australia. The big problem's always been the cost of the freight because of the size of the frame. So looking and working with uh, Al and Kevin Young at JTEC Radio Wave. Um, how we can make this more cost effective and that is for the foam to be cut here in Australia. So they've given me the files to now cut the foam belly pans, turtle decks, wing stabs, vertical stab and everything to cut here in Australia. And then I'll be sourcing the, uh, well, they'll be sending over the cows, the canopies, laser cut pieces. And then I'll also be sourcing the balsa wood here. So that's another product that uh, I'm in the process of working on to have set up. Um, to be selling here in Australia. Other than that, there's a couple of other products that I'm looking at and manufacturers that I'm I'm working with, um, which I'm, I'm not going to go saying too much yet, uh, but that will be coming all in the near future. Excellent. And uh, have you got a website? Yeah, uh, website is www.bonesrc.com.au. If you jump online there, it's it's reasonably a simple sort of website compared to many others and that there we've got a shop in there where you can go through purchase your stuff and uh and go from there so for me it's also it it keeps my sister busy i've got my sister my 15 year old sister who i uh part-time employ and and pay her her shipment that she she packs up and sends off so for me it's uh it's a good little um company that uh i believe and i really hope can blossom into something that could be quite different and unique and, and offer something different to aeromodelers here in Australia. Yeah, no, it sounds like it, it's going to be good times. And uh, those JTA planes that Jace has uh, made look uh, awesome, like a great little uh, backyard flyer. They're, they're EPP, aren't they? Not Depron. Yeah, that's correct. They're a 6 mil EPP construction, uh, full carbon webbing through it. There, There is a decent amount of carbon in it. It's been it's great how how he's designed. It's very very simple. Everything's already pre-cut from the factory to length. It's very simple. It's just a matter of running your contact adhesive, sliding everything all in place, and it all just interlocks into one another really nicely. And and, and speaking to several customers that have already purchased the kits, I've been getting great feedback for the quality control that you get with these aeroplanes now with all the aeroplanes that i've got coming in to australia i'm also for, for me to give me my own satisfaction i'm opening up every single kit making sure all the pieces are in the boxes as per uh what what comes with them and making sure it is of all good quality before we then send it out to our customers excellent job well bones it's been really good talking to you and 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 I'm really enjoying these podcasts because I get to find out like behind the scenes of these of these people and uh, these pilots that I you know met and know and that kind of thing. And uh, one thing that's become very very clear is that to get to the level of flying that you're at doesn't come overnight. You've put in a lot of effort over a long time, and and you've got an excellent foundation that's going to hold you in good stead for the rest of your life. So very good job, young chap. Really impressed. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for joining me. Well, thanks to Aaron for joining me. I really enjoyed the chat and really finding out more about him. I'm really enjoying the interviews that I'm doing this podcast because some of these uh, people that I'm interviewing, I have met before, but in doing it in this format, we get really under the skin and really get an understanding 
of uh, the person itself. So I've got a few more lined up. Um, I've already recorded one with another gentleman. I'm not going to give it away because it's a doozy. I, I tell you what, the next episode, it's a must listen. Uh, more will be told on social media in the future. But anyway, uh, stay in touch with Flat Out RC Podcast. Subscribe if you haven't. Now, product highlight every every episode i want to sort of cover a model airplane or some sort of product that i can highlight and some of these products are products that i've had first-hand experience with and products that i've reviewed in the flat out rc magazine so when we used to do those reviews for the magazine we used to really get quite in depth and, and analyze them and the model that i want to feature this week is the dream flight ahi ahi now the dream flight ahi is a slope soarer it's a foam slope sawer. Now, I found this model because I was—I really wanted to have a slope sawing model, and I wanted something that was built from foam so that it was a no-fuss slope sawer that I could take down to some of the beaches uh, down here in Victoria, throw it off, and not have to worry about landing on top of a bush or something like that. So, I did some research, and again, I, I do enjoy aerobatics, so I wanted something that was a bit aerobatics. It had ailerons. And I stumbled across the Dreamflight Ahi, A-H-I, Ahi. Now, Ahi is actually, for memory, it's a fish. It's a type of fish. Uh, and so anyway, this Dreamflight Ahi, Dreamflight is an American company. I reached out to them and uh, said uh, I'd love to review the model, and they gave me one. Not only did they just give me the model, but they gave me all the servos and the battery that goes with it as well. So a big shout-out to Dreamflight for, for doing that. Uh, and so we put it in the magazine. I can't remember what edition. Um, and uh, so th this model arrived, and I actually was liaising. There is an Australian distributor of the Dreamflight range of products in Glider Gear. Uh, they're a South Australian-based organisation. Glidergear.com.au uh, uh, is the web address. Glidergear.com.au, and they sell the Dreamflight Ahi. Now the the Dreamflight Ahi phone model. Uh, give you some of the dimensions so you can get a picture of what it looks like. Wingspan, we're talking about a 1200 millimeter uh, wingspan. So a nice handy size, put in the car easily, keep it all uh, in, in one piece. Uh, good wing area, weight, you know, anywhere from 340 to 425 grams. So it's pretty pretty light, does have uh, room for ballast. Uh, pretty good wing loading, four to six channels with flapperons they're saying. So you can set up flapperons on the model as well, but it's basically, Ailerons, rudder, elevator, uh, assembly under an hour. Hell yeah, and I'll get to that. Uh, flight style, freestyle, slope shredder. I'll get to that as well. So anyway, the the, the kit arrived, and uh, I pulled it out. And you know, okay, some of us think that foamy models are a waste of time, kind of thing, but I don't mind them. I reckon there's a great role for foam aircraft. I fly some foam aircraft into aerobatics to practice. And in some gliders as well, like the, the, the good old Radiant gliders. But anyway, pull it out of the box. And this thing was amazing. The quality of the foam was excellent. Now, I mentioned that it says here under an hour for assembly. Out of any foam model that I put together, the Dreamflight Ahi was the easiest by far. And it was the most precise. The tolerances on everything was just perfection. I'd never assembled a kit where I could really feel how much effort went into the design uh you know in the way that it went together it was just absolutely it blew my mind how easy it was to put together and how foolproof so because being foam and it being sort of all molded you can actually think about how things slot together so that you know anybody can really do it any dummy so definitely had it built within an hour easily within an hour it only probably took me about half an hour to put the whole thing together because it was that easy to do. Now, they did supply me with all the uh, the servos, and they're sort of those micro-size uh, servos. Um, there's a little nickel metal hydride battery pack that goes with the uh, the glider, and, and there's a, a spot for it right in the nose area. Uh, and so I was fortunate that I, I got all the right gear, so it, it made it easier as well. Now, there's... Uh, so foam aircraft, but the canopy, for memory, I think it's carbon fiber or carbon fiber look kind of uh, canopy that slips over the top, held in with magnets. And again, it's just amazing. The fuselage is 
very narrow, but quite high. So we're talking about, say, knife-edge performance here where you want quite a high uh, fuselage. It, it works well. You can tell this thing was designed for uh, aerobatic slope soaring. And they, they do have other models in their range, like the Alula, which some people I know have got out there, but friends have got the Dreamflight Alula. But this is that freestyle slope soaring kind of glider. So it goes together really easily. Uh, nice big control services for, for aerobatic use. For micro servos, um, I used, uh, I said earlier that I used Spectrum gears. I actually used a Spectrum receiver. They've got a new range, or they've been out for a little while now. They've got a range of receivers that are antennaless, and they've got a four channel. That's all I needed was four channels. And I grabbed that four channel uh, receiver. If you get onto, if you're a Spectrum user, you probably know what I'm talking about, but it's a four channel receiver, all in one unit, no antenna, it's all built in. And it actually slotted into the perfect spot in the uh, sort of in the turtle deck area of the aircraft. So it was nice and neat. I said earlier, there's also a little tray for ballast. And uh, the guys at Dreamflight also sent me the ballast. And that, um, I, mean, I can load it up on a really, really windy day or not. Anyway, the airframe is white. It's not painted. And if you go online, you'll see that a lot of people do spend time painting their model. Uh, and on back in the day when I was running the magazine, I had my full-time job, uh, and the company that I run, and then I was doing the magazine as well. I didn't have a lot of spare time, so I didn't have time to go and paint something. So I grabbed, I had some wing tape, some red wing tape, and I put those on the edges. I always love gliders that were white with red wing tips. It goes back to a Mitsubishi Sigma ad or Magna ad back in the eighties. And there was this, if you go online, I've actually seen the ad, there was this glider flying in the countryside and it lands in the back of this station wagon. You oldies out there know what I'm talking about because we were all, couldn't believe that there was a model aircraft in a in a car ad or an ad on television. Anyway, that had white, it was white with red wing tips. And so that's what I, I, I did. I put some tape and on the underside, I had some black wing tape and I, I put some strips of black so that I could tell up, you know, upside from downside kind of thing. And I'm a big fan of that, of having uh, contrasting colors under the wings. And when I mean contrasting colors, I don't mean small checks. I've never been great with small checks, and I don't think anybody's great with small checks. It's great when you're on the ground, but a big check. Like I'm talking about big, big chunks of black and a big chunk of white, because on a gray day, you lose often the color and you just see the contrast between the black and the white. So I put a couple of strips of black tape and uh, off to the to the uh, the slope. I was going to say the field, off to the slope. So it goes together easily, ready to go, put it in the back of the car, fully assembled. And I called on my great mate, Ido Segev, rest in peace, Ido, and said, Ido, got another model for you to test. And so we went down to uh, Sandringham down here in Melbourne, Bayside, Melbourne which is in a fly zone, not a no-fly zone. I, I did my checks before with the CASA app, and we went down this little slope right near the St. Kilda, not St. Kilda, sorry, Sandringham Yacht Club. And there's a little slope. It's probably no more than five metres tall. So we turned up, and the wind was, was, was blowing. It was probably around the 17-knot mark. And I said to Ido, and I'd never flown a slope saw before, but Ido had, and um, I said, okay, you go launch it and I'll take photos and uh, we'll see what you think, Edo. And he, he oh, being an aerobatics gun, he was the perfect person to, to, to put this plane through the uh, through its paces. Anyway, he launched it and he, he said, oh, I'm a little bit nervous. You know, I said, okay, I'll launch it. You get ready because, you know, we're hoping that it's all trimmed nicely and whatever. Anyway, a little, little uh, gentle push into the air and this thing was off and I tell you what, we could have been there for days. The, the, it was really uh, quite windy, and we hadn't put any ballast in the aircraft, so we we're just flying, flying it as it sort of came. You know, once we assembled it, no extra weight. And Edo then started mucking around, you know, doing his usual loops and rolls, and he's tried to do flat spins and knife edge passes, and he was blown away how good this thing was. Absolutely blown away. He, he, you know, he said you could you can do everything with it. You know, okay, you don't have a propeller out the front. You're not going to be hovering the thing, but he could do knife edge passes. That they, they would sort of start high and end a bit lower, but you could hold it in knife edge, even um, spins, flat spins. So he would gain height and then spin down and flat spin it. Uh, but great turnaround maneuvers and you know, the the ailerons actually are quite big 
And so we had to dial the rates back definitely and uh, put Expo in as well just to, to, to manage it because this thing could roll like nothing on earth, especially when, when the wind's up. So anyway, this thing was flying beautifully, uh, hardly any trim, the tractor tracked really, really well. And Edo was in love with it. And then he handed the controls over to me and first go slope soaring. I just went up and down the slope. May have ditched it into the car park. Okay, I did. But anyway, we kept on going. Plane, plane wasn't damaged. It's foam. Yeah, it's pretty resilient. Now, I would say that if you do grab this 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 glider, the Dreamflight Ahi, and you whack it into a tree branch, it could do some damage. The, the foam's, you know, it's foam. It's relatively soft. What some people will do is try to put tape over them to reinforce them, which you can do. It won't affect the performance. Even adding a little bit of weight, it's not going to affect this this glider because you know, often we're we're flying in a lot of breeze. But I, I was blown away how stable this thing was in the breeze. It was it was seriously windy for this little aeroplane. Uh, so anyway, had a good time and then wrote the review, put the photos in there, and uh, I'm going to put another video up. Uh, I've been putting up. Well, I've got a whole bunch of videos of Ido Segev talking about the models and the photos that go with it. Uh, I've got a, I had a lot of his recordings on my phone, and so I'm utilizing those to create these little videos so people can hear from the great man exactly what he was saying about the aircraft. So generally, he'd fly it, and then I'd shove the phone in front of him, ask him some questions, and he would answer them. So anyway, a month goes past, and Ido kept on bugging me to go back to the slope and fly this Dreamflight Ahi, and um, so. We did, and he invited his brother. We're all mode two flyers, but this day it wasn't that windy. But Ido was forever the optimist when it came to wind. He was he was a mad keen windsurfer, and I was into kite surfing. And we'd go down to the beach, and he'd be telling me, "I'd say, Ido, there's no wind," and he's going, "No, no, it's coming." Sometimes it would, sometimes it wouldn't. But anyway, we were sitting at the beach and waiting for the wind to come up a bit. The afternoon sea breeze it was a beautiful day. Uh, anyway, it came up enough. I'm talking maybe eight, nine knots. And we thought, okay, let's give it a go and we'll see what happens. You know, we can always ditch it on the beach kind of thing. So anyway, uh, Edo started off. He launches into the air. And this thing wasn't moving fast because the air wasn't really, it wasn't that windy. So this thing just kept on going up and down. And what we did is for the next hour and 15 minutes, we flew this uh, this Dreamflight Ahi, handing the transmitter to each other and just thinking this is the greatest. It was almost like having a boys catch up at the slope handing the transmitter around and just you know mucking around for five minutes and turning around saying do you want to have a go now when you've had enough pass it on and it was just really memorable experience especially now that the great man's gone uh but a really memorable experience and his brother Jonathan and i will be heading back to the slope uh he's got a dream flight alula and he said to me he really wants to get out we're going to reenact that memorable flying session i'm going to have my ahi so the Dream Flight Ahi, do I recommend it? Hell yeah. I recommend it to those people that want an aerobatic slope soarer, a no-fuss slope soarer, something that's easy to build, foamy, so you know that it's going to be a, a tough unit, but you want something that you can roll, not just scoot up and down the slope and uh, endlessly, but something that you can really try your slope aerobatics out with you know you can do some loops you can do some knife edge passes you can do four point rolls uh you know uh, cubinates you name it all those basic sport maneuvers that we do with a propeller plane you can do with this dream flight ahi as i said it, it flew beautifully and i'm not just saying that and a lot of people would always say oh you always say everything's good in a magazine well a couple of things about a magazine is you never write articles about bad products because imagine if we were sitting there in the magazine saying, this is hopeless, this is hopeless, this is hopeless. There were products that before we completed the review, we complained to the manufacturers and needed clarification about a few things. But this Dreamflight Ahi, it's not the cheapest foam you're going around. I think from last memory, they were around the $400 mark or something like that. As I said, you've got to get on to glidergear.com.au and uh, have a chat with them. Um, I don't know whether they're publishing their product prices but from memory it's around the 400 dollars mark but it, it is worth it if it, it is seriously a good foamy slope soaring plane so the dreamflight ahi glidergear.com.au if you want to know more about dreamflight ahi you can get onto the dreamflight website which is at dream-flight.com that's dream-flight.com about to leave 
already packing Come with me, I'm not really asking We'll get away to a place where we don't know Well, that's all I have for you this week for the Flat Out RC podcast. Thanks for joining me once again. Big thank you to Aaron Bones Gall. Uh, great interview, great insight into what it takes to be a gun aerobatics pilot on the competition scene. And I'm going to be watching him as he progresses now through the pattern ranks. I think there's many more good things come from the young chap, Aaron Bones Gall. So thanks again, Aaron, for joining me. And to all of you, again, thanks for joining and to all the people that are subscribed and are listening. Really appreciate it. This thing is growing. The numbers are growing. More and more people are listening to it, which is good. And don't forget, stay in touch with our YouTube channel, uh, the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. Jump onto YouTube. There'll be the video of the uh, Ahi with uh, Ido Sega talking about it. If you want to hear from the great man, what his thoughts are about that aircraft. Uh, don't forget Instagram, still firing. I'll tell you what, this coronavirus thing is really... Uh, working well with an Instagram account. Numbers have uh, doubled almost. So Instagram, Flat Out RC, and of course, Facebook as well. And merch available at the flatoutrc.com.au website for those people located in Australia. That is right, Flat Out RC merch. Look cool at the flying field with your Flat Out RC t-shirts. So thanks once again, and I will see you. No, I'm not gonna see you. You'll hear from me next week. Thanks for joining.